The Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. Welcome to another episode of The Cellcats. Joining me today is a man who just learned how to tie his shoes. Welcome, Jacob. Man, that took forever to learn. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> over, around, under, and through. Yeah, exactly. It's so complicated. <laughs> Why's that thing gotta be so complicated? I don't know the rest of the song. <laughs> sadly, not sadly, I do. Uh, why thank you. Let me introduce our co-host, a man who is just trying to get his crow on. Welcome, Drew. Are you? I can't do that voice. <laughs> I cannot do the every nerd ever on television voice. But uh, are you, are you saying I I'm a little selfish and think all the girls like me and I really want to eat some kind of pie? No, eh. yeah, he's. Do just, I look he... like a magpie to you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Help, uh, get me out of here. I'm getting stared at. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so. So. <laughs> lost my spot. How are you doing, Jacob? Man, I'm doing very well. It's been a very good week. Uh, had some things come about that I wasn't... Uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, had some things that are going on that are more... More private thing going on. Nothing bad. It's really good things. Yeah. I just I am not I am not going to reveal them pro- publicly yet until the the error the time is right. Other than that, be like it's it was a great weekend. It was great. It's been a good week so far, uh, and prayerfully continues so. So other than that, doing great. All right. So it has been a very interesting week. Uh, it was a very interesting weekend. There again, I can't really go into details about things. Uh, I had a wonderful time and uh, went and saw a movie and uh, went to dinner mm-hmm. and just had a great time. I uh, went to uh, Shane Chain con- Shane Chain concert on Friday, which is freaking amazing. All it was worship and praise, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sunday was good, and it's just it's it's been a good week. It's been a good week. Um, yeah, last week, uh, the end of last week was kind of rough. Uh, I kind of had a, uh, I had a meltdown at work. Let's say that. Oh, I didn't hear about. Yeah, this. no, no, no. Uh, I, 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 I have anxiety, and I, I, uh, I overclock myself, and I, I, I let, I let, I let the stress get to me, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I didn't lose it, but it was just more. I, I came really, I just came unglued a little bit. And uh, thankfully, I went to lunch, and the day was a lot better. So very, yeah, I'm very thankful in that. Um, again, weekend was amazing, um, and uh, the week's been very good, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, looking for the rest of the week and see what happens for the weekend. Uh, other than that, uh, I'll get into what I've been watching in a little bit later. So, how's your week been? My week's been pretty interesting. Uh, I got. Did, I was originally supposed to go to that Shane and Shane concert. Yes, with you, you were. But I forgot that I had already agreed to be on Retro Rewind's That's right. uh, review this last Friday for uh, Batman the Movie, hmm. which should be coming out soon. Hmm. Uh, 
But, uh, and I should say that Geek Devotion, uh, Dallas from Geek Devotions, yeah. Nate from uh, Stunning and Brave were there also, along with, of course, uh, Francisco and uh, Paul. And uh, we were the only, yeah, that was who was there. And we had a good time with that. That was actually a fun recording session. Oh, okay. So keep an eye out for that when that comes out, because that was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh I did also see... I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move into what I've been watching because that's the only other thing I really have. Okay. Uh, I went to see a movie Saturday myself. Really? What was yes. that? I drove all the way into that rainstorm the same as you did. Oh, my gosh. That was a terrible that storm a on bad Saturday. bad rainstorm. It was bad. Uh, but I met, my, I met my mama... Well, I met both my parents in town to eat over at Slim Chickens. Mm. And then me and mama went to go watch Uncharted. Yeah. How was that? That was good movie actually that's what i keep hearing i about. was a little concerned because a video game movie those don't have a good track record yeah but this did fairly well um it was it was it handled it was a good introduction to the characters yeah uh showed essentially how they met i don't know how canon this particular story is to the games mm-hmm. but it was. I enjoyed it. Uh, okay. It actually, made me download the games after uh, I still haven't gotten <laughs> around to playing, even though I bought them like ten years ago on my PlayStation account, and mm. I never actually. And I only play like a little bit of the original game, and then I never came back to it, and so I downloaded it again. Mm. So yeah, there's that. Mm. Uh, also, of course, I've been playing, uh, I've been streaming, uh, Dragon Quest XI and, uh, Super Mario RPG on the, uh, Twitch channel. So if y'all hadn't been watching that, please come join me, though I won't be on this Saturday. Mm. Uh, also, I started a new anime. Really? Yes. Oh, I say new anime. New to me, I'll ah. say. Uh, it came out, I think, in the last year, but it is... Uh, she professed herself pupil of the wise man. Interesting. You know, one of these has got a stinking long name for no good reason. Right. And going forward, I'll just call I'll just call it pupil of the wise man because that's easier to say. Mm. But it's about these this uh, it's a it's a it's an, it's an isekai. Mm-hmm. It exists inside the world of a video game. Okay. The guy. Uh, the, the the player has a super high level character, yeah, named uh, uh, Gandalf. Uh, no, it was a uh, Danbolf. Danbolf. I thought it's probably Dan- Gandalf. <laughs> oh, there's a reason because the full name is Danbolf Gungledor. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he literally took Gandalf and Dumbledore Word. and combined the names. Wow. Okay. Uh, and he is a summoner in the game. Okay. And, uh. One of the strongest players in the game. You know how this goes. Yeah. Well, one night he's playing around with a, a vanity item that would allow him to know to essentially remake his character. Mm-hmm. And then he fell asleep. Mm. Apparently the character saved. And then somehow he got sucked into the video game. Of course. As this little girl character. Oh, that's... Uh, I say little. Yeah. Physically, she's not very big. Oh, okay. I got you. Uh, she's obviously supposed to be a young girl, but maybe like say 
12 or 13, but still has younger-ish features. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of the the, uh, the anime that we watched over at Chase's. Yeah, I was going to bring that up here in a minute, mm-hmm. too. But uh, it, well, it's like that, but while she, uh, they the NPCs, since they're not no, no longer, you know, static characters that say the same lines over and over again. Yeah. They're alive, and they are trying... All the players are trying to make sure that uh, it's never figured out that they're all... Because all a bunch of other players have been found themselves in the game, too. Right. And they're all trying to make sure, since a lot of them have high-ranking positions, that uh, the world kind of stays as it is without going crazy because no one knows how to get back out of the game. Huh. And they don't want... And there's not any jerks in this one like in that other game, movie anime we watched. Right. At least I don't think there are. And so... Uh, oh, and the food actually tastes good. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, that is Just a weird... The, the other anime we a, watched. That's a weird mirror there. It is. Considering Log Horizon's food. Mm-hmm. It's not tasting good. We watched Log Horizon at our friend Chase's house yeah. the other night. That's the other anime we I watched. Yeah. Literally, I saw three episodes of each show. But um, she's pretending to be... Since the NPCs know that, uh, since they see her, but they don't know that she's not Danbolf. Yeah. They, uh, she's going by the name Mira and saying that she is a, uh, pupil. She's, 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 uh, Danbolf's pupil. And that's why she's so powerful. Ah. She still has all her powers from before. It's an interesting show. Hmm. Um, I'm going to highly suggest it. Uh, Josh is wanting to double check. That is, uh, she professed herself pupil of the wise man, but that is a long name and I'm not going to say it again. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I watched that. And then of course we watched log horizon over mm-hmm. at chases. Right. That was interesting. Uh, it's actually, it looks like it's a well-written show. That's one I'm probably going to find, uh, find where it's streaming and probably finish it. Yeah. That actually looks good. Um, other than that, I don't think I've had a chance to watch much of anything outside of stuff for podcasts. I gotcha. Oh, I, but I did beat Ratchet and Clank. Oh, really? For PS4. I may put that movie on the list. Oh, okay. Because it's not the same as the game. It's a similar story because you can tell the game is sometimes using scenes from the movie for its cutscenes. Yeah. But there's slight differences. So I may put that one on the list at some point. Okay. Other than that, uh, that's all I've been watching and playing. What have you been watching? Uh, what I've been watching. So Saturday, I went and watched uh, in the same rain shower. He had to drive through. I did the yeah. exact same thing. Same um, town, but I had to go about what five miles farther, roughly, to get to Times Square. Uh, about a mile, maybe and a half. mile. Maybe. It's about a, it, it's Broadway. It, might, yeah. it felt like five miles. Yeah. So, Bill, I went and watched Dog, uh, the new movie that came out. The Bounty Hunter. No, no, Bounty Hunter. Uh, with Chan Tatum, uh, he plays a, a former. He plays a medically discharged uh, uh, army ranger who has to transport a a dog who has PTSD just like he does, and uh, has to travel the travel the country to get to the dog's former handler who passed away. Uh-huh. And uh, it's the journey of their kind of growth and development as as a pairing as you know dog and human. And it's it's really touching. Spoiler alert, because this is needed. The dog doesn't die in the end. Let's Good. just say that. Because there there are so many movies out there that the dog dies. Because I've had so many conversations about that, and uh, they're just like, oh good, oh my gosh. My pastor was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm watching this. 
Because he be like, even to what Dr. Mike said was be like, okay. It's like, be like, I don't care if the entire cast gets taken out. As long as they don't kill the dog, we're good. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't watch that. It was great. It was a wonderful time. And so what I've been watching since then is actually quite a bit. All right. So let's see. The night I got the night I got back from watching Dog, I actually watched another film, which is on Netflix. It came out in 2019, I believe. 2019, uh, Code Eight. It was on Netflix. It was uh, it was it was it was in the number one for a couple of months. It's mm-hmm. got uh, Stephen. Our come on, uh, the guy who played Arrow, the guy who played Arrow in CW. Uh, Stephen Amell and his cousin Robbie Amell, they did they made this film. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'll probably give it like a three star. It was pretty good. Uh it was fun. It had an interesting perspective on the idea of a mutant genome and mm-hmm. how people are treated with power. And um uh, it's almost trying to make a lower class out of people who have power because your uh humanity itself is threatened by power. Right. And uh, it's the the quote unquote mutants. They don't call themselves mutants, movie obviously, but it's they have they 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 want to be equal with everybody else. But it's basically you know the government's kind of suppressing them, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a unique story. It's a unique story. I'd highly recommend it. Now for kids, no, absolutely not. This has got cursing, got the galore and everything, but. Um, and so I started. I I watched a little bit of uh, Sword Art Online, or also also known as Sao Season Two. Uh, hiss. Huh. Hiss. Hiss. <laughs> you were just talking about one of those movies yourself. And I don't like Sao. <laughs> Sao is too grim dark for me. Yeah. Well, season Season Two isn't so grim dark. Yeah, and but you got to get through Season One to do it. That is true. But I like Season Two. I like Season One. <laughs> I'm one of those weird people who actually likes SAO. I'm not saying you're weird because a lot of people like SAO. Yeah. It's just me who doesn't like SAO. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, actually, there's a lot of some other people who don't like SAO. Right. But mainly, I'm just. Anyway. Either way. Either way, it'd be like, I started watching that. It's pretty good. Um, I can't remember where I watched it. I think I watched it on Netflix, I think. So then right. I watched. I started watching a few documentaries and. One I thought was spectacular. The other was like, oh, okay. So I'll get into what I'm talking. What I'm talking about in a second. Uh, one on Hulu was a uh, Tulsa burning the 1921 race massacre, mm-hmm. which is an actual event that happened in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where an entire um, a section of city which was dedicated to the black community was completely torched, and about a hundred people were massacred. Hundred, mm-hmm. hundred twenty. People were massacred, and the the fact that like the city did nothing, they literally just level everything, and um, uh, put a highway over it. It's it's sad, but at the same time, be like the the documentary does it very well, and it educates you about what's going on mm-hmm. or what happened. But it only tells the it only gives you from one perspective, and I was kind of disappointed in that they didn't go from both perspectives of what was going on, and. Um, I understand where they're going with this, but I just I wish they would have you know done a little bit more, expanded the story out a little bit more. But that's either here or there. Right. But it was it was enjoyable. It was educational. I wish they would have you know broadened the story out a little more. Uh, but I understand where they're coming from with it or going with it, 
going with the story. Uh, another one I just I was watching while I was doing my notes for this for this afternoon was on Disney Plus. It's called Mars Inside Space X. That's uh, Elon Musk's uh, rocket company and mm-hmm. his desire to get people to Mars, which is also a enormous challenge for it. Right. And the fact that I, I necessarily don't believe that humanity is going to become extinct on on planet Earth. Uh, and a lot of people believe that. I don't. Uh, so we'll agree to disagree on that. Um, but either or, be like it's it, it was a good little documentary. And uh, would I recommend it? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's educational. And I, I, I'm very much a history nerd, so I love learning about things. Right. And so, yeah, that's all I've been watching. Before we get too much farther, I do need to actually go over our trivia question yeah. this week. So the trivia question was, what in Rockadoodle is the first, is the only time that this is, let me rephrase this question. <laughs> what is in Rockadoodle that is in no other Don Bluth movie? Hmm. Do you know the answer, Jacob? I do. Okay. Yeah. It's a live action sequence. <laughs> yeah. This is the only time it was ever done. Yeah. Uh, going over the answers, my idiot cousin... Yeah, I'm saying that out loud now. <laughs> uh, he says offhand, I'd say a ro- rooster Elvis pastiche. Close. <laughs> Technically, I can't say another Don Bluth movie has had a rooster Elvis impersonator. <laughs> but that was not the answer I was looking for, Austin. <laughs> uh, Stephanie Russell said live action, I think, unless Page Master is also Bluth. But I'm pretty sure it isn't. Nope. Uh, no, it's not. It's actually Hanna Barbera. Yeah. Uh, Josh replied to her, "Fairly certain it isn't, but I can definitely see how you, it would be confused as one." Mm-hmm. And then she said to Josh, "I feel like it has some similarities in terms of older characters, but there's no signs of this guy." And she put a picture of a shot of, from three different movies that looks like it's the same guy all mm-hmm. three times, but it's obviously three different movies. Oh yeah, it's really like Don Bluth has this very unique style how he does he knows things. How to make his leading men? Yeah, exactly. Humans. And animated and anthropomorphic animals. Yes, but uh, Josh also got live action segments as yes. the answer. So thank you all guys for uh, answering the trivia question for this week. Mm-hmm. I'll ask another one at the end of this show. So. Jacob, what do we got in the news? What do we got in the news? Uh, Stop and think where we were in the show. <laughs> yeah, this out of order. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Be like, obviously, everyone knows what's going on in Ukraine with uh, the Russian invasion. Uh, there again, we're not going to hear to talk about politics. Just more be like, if you are, just pray for uh, the the all, people in Ukraine. All I'll say about politics is that politics comes from, is actually two words: poly meaning many, and ticks being blood sucking creatures. That is true. So yeah, if you if you would just pray for those over in Ukraine and that this is this this ridiculous war is you know come to a, a fast conclusion. Uh, so I did notice that there are a lot of uh, animation studios and people who are a part of animation are banning against Russia for this uh, encroachment on. Uh, Ukraine, including the Disney comp- Walt Disney Company and uh, several others, are not allowing their films to be distributed in Russia right now. 
So, uh, yeah, we're kind of be like, hey, be like, we don't like what you're doing, Putin. We're not giving you anything. We not giving you, uh, not giving you our entertainment. So there. Um, and if we do have listeners over in Ukraine, we are praying for you. And mm-hmm. this thing is resolved in a hurry. Uh, so other than that, uh, a movie that we have been talking about off and on uh, was in theaters was a was a uh, was brought to the states. Mm-hmm. And now it's coming to a uh, either a digital platform or a physical platform. Took uh, long enough. Yep. Uh, May, I believe it's going to be May th- May the third, which is coming up very quickly. Uh, uh, Bell, uh, the movie Bell, which is a uh, anime. Anime came out, I think, la- the very end of last it was year. Late last year in Japan. Yeah. It came over here mm-hmm. like early. Uh, mid to late January, but it only came to select theaters. There was not one of those select theaters was not anywhere around here. In fact, apparently since COVID, none of those select theaters are anywhere near here. Mm -hmm. You have to go to Dallas, which doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Yeah. That's literally, you just make an entire day trip of that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll do that. Maybe. It's got to be a pretty good movie. <laughs> it's got to be a good movie to do that. So either way, uh, Bell will be available on all major platforms starting on May 3rd as a Blu-ray DVD combo pack on May 17th and an exclusive Target exclusive Steelbook edition May 17th by G-Kids distributed through Shop Factory. Uh, the Steelbook will feature a number of bonus features, including conversations with the director, features the making of Bell, music of Bell, finding the voice of Bell, uh, the director drawing Bell, screen, screen breakdowns, and much, much more. So, if you are interested in the movie Bell, which is an adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, uh, so, yeah, if you're interested, I'm definitely interested. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. Go find uh, whenever it's available. Do it on pre-order, whatever. Go find this film. Let us know what you think. Get back to us about it. And I'm pretty sure we'll probably put this on review fairly shortly when we get the when we start reworking oh, yeah. the schedule. Because um, there again, we do plan ahead. Yes, with we this. do now plan ahead. Yes. <laughs> More than six movies. Yes. <laughs> like, we've grown. We've developed. We <laughs> developed just, the podcast. As, as much as we enjoyed the rolling, mm-hmm. uh, we found it's easier to actually just schedule what's coming and then not have to worry about Indeed. it. Indeed. That was that was a fun season of the podcast, but now we've moved on and doing a little more mature things. <laughs> Either or. So the dice is still on the set. Yes. I mean, Pink Yoshi's hiding it right now. Oh, you still have the dice here? Oh, okay. Interesting. It, it deserves a proper place on the set. It is. The dice is an important part of our history. Yeah, agreed. All right, so that is all I have for info and stuff. There again, pray for Ukraine mm-hmm. for this this terrible thing that's going on that is resolved very quickly because this is just havoc and is unnecessary. Cut it out, Putin. Quit Putin, Putin. <laughs> Either or. That's all I have for info and stuff. All our right. move, our news and stuff. Yeah, info and stuff's not for. <laughs> yeah, a while. that's that's later <laughs> for the news. Anyway, that's now. It's, mm, let's jump into the spoiler-free section of our review for Rockadoodle. This 
is probably my 30th viewing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, not recently, though, because... Uh, That'd be a lot of viewings. That would be personally. a lot. Of, but apparently this is one I watched, like, weekly as a child. Wow. Uh, apparently I loved this movie as a child. And uh, considering how much of the movie I remembered, having not seen it since I was probably eight. Huh. Bear in mind, I'm 35 now. Uh, considering how much of it I could still quote all these years later, yeah. I'd say I watched enough of it to get it ingrained into my head. Yeah. Um, this was a lot of fun to watch, especially nostalgia-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things I remembered about this. A lot of things that, as an adult, looking at it, made me go, okay, I see the arc that went into this. Mm-hmm. I see the excellence in casting mostly, most of the time in this. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the film for what it is. It is short, but then that's a staple of Don Bluth that I don't remember this film being that short. Yeah. But it is short, except for the credits that are like 10 minutes long for no good reason. Yeah. I say no good reason. I think they just have them playing slow because it's the same amount of credits that nearly all animated movies have, mm-hmm. especially for this time period. But um, this is just a fun movie. It's a, I think this, I would call this a forgotten classic. That's what you were saying. People, especially since the only <clears throat> version of this apparently that can be found, despite it being a 20th century Fox release, mm-hmm. the, the Blu-ray was released by Olive Films. Yeah. A company I have never heard of before. Me either. But apparently it's one of these little side releasing companies that releases stuff the main the, the big the big boys don't want to release. Mm, I'm just going with Disney hasn't gotten it into their thing yet. Got into their I've got the rest of the Don Bluth stuff that's Fox. And technically this is actually MGM, so Yeah, this is MGM. Uh Fox did the original release, I believe. Oh, okay. Then the it laps over and MGM yeah. got it. I know Fox's name is on the back of the box, but I don't know who currently has. Who I don't know if they, they were the original distributor or they put some production towards it. That's why their name's on it. But you know how that goes. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this. It was a nice nostalgia trip. I've got some interesting things to say about the movie, <laughs> but uh, other than that, yes, I enjoyed it. Go watch it. It's definitely family friendly, unless you don't like smoking. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of smoking in this. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and not just from people being on fire, though there's that too. There is. <laughs> anyway. All right, so... What's, what are your thoughts? My on thoughts... On your first viewing of Rockadoodle. Yes, this is my first viewing. I've never seen Rockadoodle in my life. Uh, I think I had heard of it. I think I watched the trailer for it at one point when I was younger. Uh, never watched it until this review. Uh, until, I believe it was the last night I watched it. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. This is fun. Now, Grant, I don't have the nostalgia that Drew does. Right. So I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not coming at it with. Um, um, You're not fighting um, the nostalgia glasses. Yeah, like he's, I am. The, he's got the nostalgia goggles on. Mm-hmm. Uh, which there again, I've I've had to do the exact same thing with many films. Oh, yeah. um, with in in previous uh, reviews. Uh, so other than that, it's it's a wonderful film. It's very well done. It's got a few hiccups here and there. Um, and we'll get into that, get into dislikes. Uh, but overall it's a fun film. It's interesting. It made me, there were parts that made me laugh my head off and I'll get in there in my likes. Other than that, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Highly recommend it. Go watch it. 
Uh, like Drew said, be like, yeah, if you don't like the idea of your kids watching smoking characters smoking or being set aflame, uh, may not be the film for you. <laughs> That's about the uh, the most objectionable thing in this movie. Yes, is the uh, uh, Chanticleer's manager does smoke. Well, like, he, like, he, a, like a uh, chimney. That is true. Well, it was it was the eighties, and plus, most time villains smoked. Yeah, that's fine. It works. <coughs> but other than that, I'd be like, I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, can't wait for the review. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the uh, bumpers, so we can get to spoiling this thing. Don't forget that you can download. Download? Don't forget that you can't. Uh, don't forget that you can listen to us record the podcast live every Tuesday over on our Facebook page, The Cellcast, our uh, Twitch channel, The Cellcast Gaming, and on YouTube at Cellcast. Also, don't forget to join our Patreon if you would like to support us monetarily. At $1, you'll get our everlasting thanks. At at our $5 tier, you can get some artwork from Jacob. And on our $10 tier, you can get bloopers for every for, for every episode we've released that I've remembered to release them for. And you can get commentaries from different movies. So come check us out over there if you would like to support us financially. Each week on Stunning and Brave, hosts Chris Cowan of the Babylon Bee and Nate Henderson of Some Boring Budgeting Job confess their privilege spotlight stunning social media posts and fabricate outrage all while keeping you super woke and enlightened they will make you laugh that's right you have no choice check out stunning and brave at stunningandbrave.net do you like star wars i don't just mean the original trilogy along with that i mean the prequels the sequels the anthologies the animated shows and of course (laughs) who doesn't like baby yoda Well, if you've been in the fandom for any length of time, you know how toxic the fandom can get. And if you'd like to be able to discuss a galaxy far, far away in a much more positive light, might I suggest searching out The Outer Rim, a Facebook group dedicated to all Star Wars, and check out their YouTube channel, which you can easily find at Pop Americana, which the podcast you're currently listening to is also a part of. To find that and more, check out the link in the description. The following is a spoiler-filled review for the movie Rockadoodle. Listener discretion is advised. Rockadoodle was written and directed by Dom Bluth and Gary Goldman. Mm-hmm. That uh, Dom Bluth also, well, both Dom Bluth and Gary Goldman both did Titan A.E. Mm-hmm. and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, it's also directed by Dan Kunster who also directed a Tamagotchi CD-ROM game. Okay. That's how it was listed on IMDb. Tamagotchi CD-ROM game. Huh. It's like, well, that's going on the list, because that's just the funniest thing I've read today. (laughs) Uh, It was also written by John Pomeroy, David J. Steinberg, David N. Weiss, and uh, T.J. Kunster. Mm. Different guy, but still... Gotcha. And it is based on the play, very loosely, 
of Chanticleer by Edmund Rostant. Hmm. I had no idea this was based on an actual play. I assumed it was been based on like an old folk story or a, like a Midwestern like child children's book. Yeah. Maybe this didn't get a lot of play since it's, you know, seems like it's in Kansas. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it is literally just based on a play that is actually uh, mocking. It's actually it's actually a satire. Mm. But it's also somewhat based on one of the Canterbury Tales. Oh, okay. I just don't remember which one because obviously there wasn't the Rooster's Tale or anything mm. like that. But that would have been a great name. True. For a parody of Canterbury I can't one of the Canterbury tales. Mm. Anyway, getting into the cast. Phil Harris is the voice of Patu. Okay. He was Little John in Robin Hood and Baloo in the Jungle Book. Oh, okay. This I believe was his final role. Oh, okay. And boy did he get his money's worth for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Campbell was the voice of Chanticleer and the King. Yeah, that's true. Well, Glenn Campbell was also played LaBeouf in John Wayne's version of True Grit. Really? Yeah. And he's a country music artist, of course. That is true. I just didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. He played LaBeouf the, from Texas. Oh! 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 Of course. But his name in the movie, apparently, I didn't realize this, is LaBeouf. LaBeouf? Yes. Which just reminds me too much of LaFou. From yeah. Beating the Beast. Beast. Exactly. It is literally the fool. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So can I can I tell an interesting story about that? I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off. <laughs> so, uh Glenn Campbell, uh as one of our listeners who's actually in the stream right now, uh Heather uh had messaged me earlier in the week about be like her experience with meeting uh, I want to say Glenn Keen, but it's uh Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell, thank you. Um so apparently her grandfather, her grandmother's cousin married Glenn Campbell. And so apparently at one point, Heather was able to meet Glenn Campbell and get her, her VHS copy of Rockadoodle signed by the voice actor. Okay. So continue. Toby Gaynor was the voice of Edmund and he yeah. played Edmund, of course. And in the 90s Spider-Man, the animated series, he voiced a character named Billy Connors, which I'm assuming was the son of Dr. Connors. Hmm. Probably. It was only like two episodes. Oh, okay. Uh, Eddie Deason was the voice of Snipes. And uh, if you know, have ever heard anyone who you, in a cartoon or seen in a movie, a character you would call a stereotypical nerd. Yeah especially from the 80s, 90s, and even up into the 2000s, he was probably played by Eddie Deason. Really? Yeah. In War Games, which we reviewed recently, he True. was uh, Melvin. Okay. And Dexter's Laboratory. You remember that TV show? Vaguely. He was the voice of uh, Dexter's nemesis, Mandark. Oh, okay. Just throwing all that out there. Okay. Sandy Duncan was the voice of Peepers. And in The Swan Princess, she was Queen Uberta. Really? Yeah. Huh. Christopher Plummer is the voice of the Grand Duke. Ah, uh, that's true. And uh, one a very storied actor. Yes. But uh, the, thing, the, the, he, the other time he played, a, he was in a movie where he had to sing, 
was in The Sound of Music where he played Captain George Von Trapp. That is true. Oh my gosh. This is the only other movie I know he's ever sang in. Wow. That is I did see that. I was like, "What the fudge?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will just say this right now. I did not know this was Christopher Plummer when I was a kid. Yeah. Because the only other movie as a kid I would have seen Christopher Plummer in was Star Trek 6 The Undiscovered Country. Wow. Another favorite. Wow. And I didn't realize they were the same guy. And him and General Chang. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So speaking of Christopher Plummer, obviously Sound of Music, obviously great movie. Watching the very end of it and being the history of Johnny I'm like, turn around, you're going the wrong way. Because <laughs> you're going yeah. towards the Eagle's Nest. That's Hitler's place. You're, Go the other yeah, direction. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. Charles Nelson Riley was the voice of Hunch, mm-hmm. but he was also killer in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, Heather was talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he was actually the topic of a Weird Al Yankovic song, too. Really? Yeah, called CNR. It's a parody, it, while also being a style, it's a style parody, I don't remember of who, mm. but it's also making fun of Chuck Norris jokes. Oh. Like making them about Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> Okay. They're about as ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sorel Book was the voice of Pinky, and he was Boss Hog in The Dukes of Hazard. Oh my gosh. And boy, does that make a lot of sense. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ellen Green was the voice of Goldie, and in Little Shop of Horrors, she was Audrey, the girl, not the plant. Oh my gosh. Wow. Were, weren't we talking about that in, yes, on, on Sunday? That's why I, I, when I saw that, I thought, well, I know which one I'm choosing here. Oh, my. it's going to be Little Shop of Horrors. Because I had to keep repeating to you, the name of the plant is Audrey 2. Audrey 2. Audrey. Audrey 2. Technically, that would fit for one of our for a hybrid film for us, but <laughs> that's a ways out. True. Uh, Will Ryan was the voice of Stewie the Pig. Stewie the pig. <laughs> yeah, the one that answered the phone yes. when Edmund called. Mm-hmm. And I think he was the one the Duke the Duke asked to pass the pork, and he's the one that got passed down to the Duke. Mm-hmm. I think that's Stewie. Oh, my gosh. But in The Land Before Time, your Land Before Time, the original, okay. he was the voice of Petrie. And would you believe we actually do have Kingdom Hearts connections in this? Say what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Catherine Cushy was, okay. a, was additional voices here okay. in this movie. And in uh, in Kingdom Hearts, she was the voice of Sally, Shock, and Sora's mother. No. The one line Sora's mother had. Was <laughs> oh my gosh! It, it, still, it still leads you questioning because we we, yeah. we we started. We still, play- to, we still need to get back to that. Yeah, it, it still leads to a question: be like, what happened to Sora's mother? We never know. Never know. Just spoiler alert: she is n- the parents <laughs> of those kids have never made an appearance in the series, and that and her line there is the only time that we even know of their existence. Wow. Come on, Square Enix. <laughs> we don't need to know that information anyway. That's eh, true. Also, the chicks in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, the the really high-sounding ones yeah. that um, want Chanticleer to come back so they can raise the sun. Yes. 
that was voiced by Russie Taylor. Okay. AKA in Kingdom Hearts, Huey, Dewey, <laughs> Louie, Fairy Godmother, Fauna, and Queen Minnie Mouse. He pops up. He pops up like probably every other episode. She does. Yeah. She does. Sorry, she does. She's she was in a lot, as, which is really weird when you consider how close this is to when she was do, she was full on uh, Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Minnie Mouse as the primary voice because this has been around the time of uh, Ducktales. So yeah, she would have been busy with uh, Ducktales at this time. Yeah, because Ducktales would have aired the next year. The next year, you consider. This is a Don Bluth film, who, and it has a lot of things that, if you look at it correctly, you know, uh, Pinky the Fox, mm-hmm. who's very rodent-like, yeah, and has a movie studio with his head on a water tower, <laughs> and right and, on and, the nose, Don Bluth, and, and uh, supports uh, chill, uh, young artists with record labels. <laughs> You don't think that's not a commentary? Because I think it's pretty thinly veiled. Yeah, I would agree. You say that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not kidding. Even though there is technically also, like, the guy is supposed to be based on Elvis's actual manager, who was apparently also kind of like that, but still. Yeah. It's like, I was watching this, and I'm going, oh, Don Bluth, you do not hide your anger, do you? No. Nope. <laughs> you oh, really boy. don't. Oh, boy. I, I was going to say something about you know in 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 the Mickey voice uh, about uh, Pink about uh, the king is going to work for me for a hundred years and he's never going to go back to the farm. I work. I'm, I'm also working with the Duke, which I'm going to assume is NBC for some reason because they're both birds. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. Uh, that Clip re- that, Josh. Clip that it. That <laughs> is the end of the Kingdom Hearts connections. Will you give me info and stuff, Oh, my Jacob? gosh. How, how do I lead up to that? That was just perfect. I don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with Still that. better than my Donald Duck, which is not, which is virtually non-existent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So, info. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get bring Mickey Mouse into this tonight. <laughs> Uh, all right. So info and stuff. IMDb. It is a six point ten. Six what? Six point six out of ten. Um, production. It was by uh, Goldcrest. Mm-hmm. Goldcrest. Um, Solomon Blue. Solomon Blue Studios. Ireland. Itd. It. Ltd. I, Ltd. Sorry. Limited. Limited. Limited production. Uh, distributed by uh, the Samuel Golden Company, North America. Later MGM. Later MGM. Uh, the Rank Film Distributor in the UK. Uh, its release was actually uh, uh, release dates August 2nd, 1991 in the UK. Almost a full month later, in on the 23rd of August of the same year, and in the next year, on April 2nd, April 3rd, in the USA. Okay. All right. So it had a budget of, an approximate, an approximate budget of $18 million. 
All right, so box office. Its opening weekend was $2.6 million on April 5th, 1992. Its U.S. and Canada gross was $11.6 million, and its world gross was the exact same thing. So it underscored. Mm-hmm. And that's not even including marketing at all. Yeah, It's like, and there again, be like, this, this movie had... Don Blue does amazing work. It's just sometimes his movies just don't. They, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they, they don't. don't hit. And that's probably the reason I never heard it. I, I saw a preview to it and never saw anything about it. I know I saw commercials when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I must have said something around Grandpa at the time. and Or Mama heard it and she told him about the movie and they saw it coming on. And that's why they recorded it on a bootleg VHS for me. Mm-hmm. But. Outside of uh, outside of this, uh, outside of that, I mm. have never heard of anyone talk about this movie. Yeah, this is why it was one of the ones I was happy to get on this list. Yeah, and plus, it's one—it's it's a it's a cult classic. It's oh, yeah. one of these underrated films that is very well done. We'll get to that in our likes and dislikes in a moment. Uh, there is no sequel to be heard of of this film, not that I know of. You never would—you never know what Don Bluth. Don Bluth might yeah. be like, hey. We're doing another Ruckadool. He's got to get uh, Dragon Slayer finished first. That is true. The movie so, that's been in development for 10 years. So if anybody knows that information, please let us know. So that is all I am for in info and stuff. Okay. All right. Getting into the summary for this movie. One morning, Chanticleer, a rooster who's singing Raises the Sun every morning, gets into a fight with a stranger sent by the Grand Duke of Owls, who hates sunlight. Sorry, whose kind hates sunlight. Chanticleer defeats his attacker, but forgets the crow and the sun rises anyway. Ridiculed and rejected by the other animals, Chanticleer leaves the farm in shame, and the sun goes back down as Chanticleer had not crowed. Afterwards, perpetual darkness and rainfall threaten the farm with flooding. The story turns out to be a fairy tale being read to a young boy named Edmund by his mother. Their family's farm is in danger of being destroyed in a storm, and when his mother leaves to assist the rest of the family... Edmund calls for Chanticleer's return. However, he's instead greeted by the Duke, who is angered by Edmund's interference and uses his magical breath to transform Edmund into a kitten with the intent to devour him. Edmund is saved by Petu, a basset hound from Chanticleer's farm, who struggles to tie his shoes, and Edmund manages to drive away the Duke with a flashlight. Edmund then meets several other animals from the farm, all of whom are hoping to find Chanticleer and apologize to him for their behavior. Edmund accompanies Patu, a cowardly magpie named Snipes, and the intellectual field mouse Peepers to the city, while the rest of the animals remain at Edmund's house. Mm. Hunch, the Duke's pygmy nephew, is assigned by him to stop Edmund from the, and the others from finding Chanticleer. The group narrowly escapes and enters the city through an aqueduct pipe. Not, as he says, an adequate pipe. Aqueduct pipe. <laughs> Chanticleer, now under the name of The King, has become a famous Elvis impersonator under his manager, Pinky Fox, Mm. who is employed by the Duke to keep Chanticleer in the city and prevent his returning uh, and prevent his friends from finding him. During a concert, he is introduced to Goldie Pheasant as a distraction in case (laughs) Chanticleer's friends come to find him. Goldie soon soon grows genuinely attracted to Chanticleer and realizes Pinky's true intentions when he captures Edmund and the others while trying to get a letter to Chanticleer. 
Meanwhile, the Duke and his party stalk the farm animals at Edmund's house, who continually use Edmund's flashlight to drive them off as long as the batteries hold out. Realizing she is in love with him, Goldie confesses to Chanticleer that his friends have come to see him and Pinky blackmails Chanticleer to attend his show and never see his friends again. Hunch inadvertently frees Edmund and the others, and they help Chanticleer and Goldie make a grand escape in a helicopter, which they use to return to the farm. After their batteries run out, the denizens of the farm are nearly made a meal of by the Duke and his minions when they are driven off by the helicopter spotlight. Edmund and the others try to get Chanticleer to crow, but his ongoing sense of dejection limits his ability. The Duke taunts Chanticleer and tries to drown him, but Edmund starts chanting Chanticleer's name in hopes of reviving his spirit, provoking the Duke into strangling Edmund until he loses consciousness. Because, you know, this is a show for kids. Yeah. Impressed by Edmund's bravery, the other animals begin chanting Chanticleer's name, driving an angry Duke to transform himself into a tornado. Chanticleer finally regains his confidence and the crows and crows loud enough to raise the sun, diminishing the Duke into a harmless miniature version of himself. He is then chased away by a vengeful hunch into the distance once and for all. The flood begins to subside and Edmund transforms back into a human. Edmund awakes in the real world where the sun is shining outside and the floods have ended, but Edmund's mother assumes that his adventures were only a dream. Nevertheless, Edmund picks up Chanticleer's book and thanks him for coming back before he is magically transported back into Chanticleer's world where he witnesses the rooster singing to make the sun shine. More on my thoughts on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Getting into the trivia. This film originally included more darker elements. You think? The famous one being a deleted sequence from the kitchen scene, you know, where he's uh, talking to uh, Hunch. Yeah. And he's telling, and Hunch is telling about the adequate pipe that he shoved mm. the group into. Adequate pipe. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, in this sequence, the Duke bakes a live baby skunk in a pie and then eats it. Eek. Oddly <laughs> enough, according to Gary Goldman, the reason this was cut wasn't because of the content, but because Bluth Studio received a complaint from Goldcrest marketing representative that most cases of child abuse happen in the kitchen and involve baking instruments. Oh, jeez. I was unaware of this. Wow, okay. Pinky the Fox, the sinister and greedy manager of Chanticleer, a.k.a. The King, is based on the late Elvis Presley's band manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Mm -hmm. The final scene's blending of live action with animation was inspired by the popularity of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Similarly, Goldie the Pheasant's sultry appearance was slightly based off that of Jessica Rabbit. Bam! Thank you! As shown in one of the early trailers... Found in the original 1990 VHS release of All Dogs Go to Heaven from 1989. Goldie was also originally given large assets, we'll say. Oh, like Jessica. Yes. <laughs> Identical to hers. And however, after mothers at test screenings were scandalized by her outrageous proportions, Bluth animators were ordered by Goldcrest Films to censor Goldie's assets. Wow. Okay. Uh, Glenn Campbell was really good friends with Elvis Presley mm. and would sometimes do Elvis imitations in his concerts. Uh, yeah. He stopped doing this once Elvis died, but he uh, based his singing voice for this film on Elvis. Mm. And like I said earlier, this is the last film role for Phil Harris. Okay. Uh, Patu's narration was one of the last things added to the film when test audiences reported finding several scenes confusing. Hmm. Uh, these test audiences were stupid, in my opinion. Okay. More on this later. Uh, Eddie Deason, who voiced Snipes, has never actually seen this movie. 
Really? He never watched it. Uh, there's, there's, I don't know how true that is because I do take these off IMDb. Well, but uh, that this and that seems oddly specific. But apparently, he's never seen the movie. There are actually a lot of actors who don't watch their own films, which makes sense. Uh, the movie takes place in 1959, and uh, Goldie and the Kings. And the newspapers after Goldie and the King's song confirm this. Mm-hmm. The Grand Duke's owl minions have names, including Rick, Fred. Furrow, Blue, Vertigo, and Varric. Okay. Rick is the tall brown owl. Fred is the purple one. Furrow is salmon pink uh, with a military style haircut. Mm. Blue is the tall blue owl. That kind of goes without saying. Vertigo is the short bearded gray owl. And Varric is the short brown owl with the ponytail, green cape, and headband. Mm. However, these names are never mentioned in the movie. They were played by the voices of T.J. Kunster, who also was the songwriter, one of the writers, musicians, movie producer of the movie Hmm. and soundtrack, and who has also been popular for being Glenn Campbell's keyboardist, musical director, and musical conductor for his band. Hmm. Jim Doherty, John Drummond, and Frank Kelly uh, were also in that band. Uh, But during the scenes when uh, the Grand Duke and his minions are singing some of my favorite songs, um, Tweedledee-Dee and The Owl's Picnic... Mm. I prefer calling Tweedledee uh, running out of batteries. Mm. That's really what it is. Um, they were voiced by T.J. Kunster, D. T. Daniel Hofstedt, Scott Capel, Mark Swan, and Kevin Gallagher. Mm. Which brings me to the end of my trivia. And since this is one of my favorites and I've been talking a while, I'm going to let you go first. What is your first like on this My one? first like is actually when Ed Mickett started to a cat. <laughs> That is a good sequence. That is a good scene, but when when he when he comes to the realization he's no longer a boy, I'm the a l- fooey. I'm a fooey, meaning he's a furry. That, okay, that is actually a. a, a this is a pit, bit of trivia I did not include. Okay, but the furry community, yeah, has always interpreted that as a call out for them. Apparently, yeah. Even though I was unaware furries existed at this time, yeah. But he's actually saying he's not saying I'm a furry. Mm. His because you know his speech impediment is affecting how he's talking. Yeah, he's actually saying I'm all furry. I'm all furry. As in he's covered that makes in sense. Fur. That makes he's sense. Not saying I'm a furry. Ah, uh, he's saying I'm all furry. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, not that you understand what he's actually saying, but there again, he's a little kid. He has speech impediment. Mm. At the same time, to me, when I heard, first yeah. heard that, yeah. it sounded like I'm a furry. I was like, oh my gosh, I laughed so hard. Thank you, ni- early 90s. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Sonic the Hedgehog did exist around this time. That is true. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, that colored the, the film so much for you after watching that. I was like, oh my gosh. He said furry, but now I don't know. He didn't yeah, see furry. He's all furry. Fur- he's all furry. But with that said, oh my gosh. That that colored the entire film afterwards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Not not a bad way, a good yeah, way. A yeah. good way. Let's say that. But I thought that was very funny. It was just like, oh my gosh. With with the with the lisp and how young the actor was at the time saying that line, it sounded like he said, "I'm I'm I'm a furry, not I'm I'm all furry." Yeah, it's, it was just made the line even funnier now. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those lines that made sense at the time, but with modern uh, things, 
Yeah. Takes on a different connotation if you hear it wrong. That is true. Anyway. So, oh yeah, that's just that's my first like I thought I was just I busted out laughing. I didn't stop the film, but I was Fair like I, I I had to go back and let's do it again. It's like, did he really say that? <laughs> but obviously he did it, but to right. my my ears, it's he said that. But overall that's my first like I just got a giggle out of it. <laughs> uh I'm actually gonna jump off that and go to one of my other likes. Mm-hmm. This was in there too. It, it is that transition scene between the live action and animated there at the really? beginning. That is a very beautiful transition. Because Sorry, could you say that again? No. Sorry, I couldn't hear. No, Siri, I can't say that again. Hush. Great, now we have a, four, a second AI on the show. <laughs> yes, Siri. Say, Siri? Well, wow, she's going to be really mad at you now. <laughs> yes, Deedlets. I know you're happy that you have another friend who's apparently owned by Apple. Ah. Uh, Anyway, anyway, so my gosh, um, but that transition scene, mm-hmm. uh, I thought was v- handled very well. I especially liked how they recreated the, uh, in, in the live action part, the giant claw, uh, branch, the, yeah, the branch comes coming down and traps yeah. him. Yeah. And then that's part of the first part that gets transformed into the, uh, into the room. Mm hmm. But that transition of them just drawing that room out and then just having... I know it's just a crossfade to what mm-hmm. is essentially the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful how they handled it. Oh, agreed. And they, they put a lot of extra work to make you go make you, make it go from live action to animated. Yeah. Almost spotless. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure... I say almost because I'm sure there is something they met, they skipped. Right. But still, I thought they handled it very well, and I appreciate it. And yeah, our first shot of the Duke... Is great. Oh, agreed. Completely agreed. Also love that uh, he points out that Edmund broke his monocle. That's true. He literally just throws it down. Even though you're looking, when that scene happened, I I forgot that Edmund broke his monocle. It's one of the few things I did forget. Yeah. But I was watching that shot of uh, Edmund pointing to uh, the Duke Mm -hmm. and actually touching where his monocle was. I thought, now hang on, that doesn't look like it's on the page. That looks like it may have been drawn after the fact, but yet it's still layered uh, good mm-hmm. so that it actually, the part that actually disappears where Edmund would have uh, pressed down on it. And it, it is correct. And it's correct the same way when you come back out when uh, when the Duke shows up. But good. yeah, I enjoyed that whole that whole part of the sequence of going from the live action wow. section to mm-hmm. the uh, being fully animated, I thought was handled very well. Yeah. That's my first like. What's uh, your second? My second like would be the animation overall, because Don mm-hmm. Bluth is very well, he's good at what he does. He's a great animator. And so you just see that. You see from character designs the whole bit. Now, Don Bluth has his, his certain style of characters. His human characters look very similar his anapromorphic characters look similar to like his dogs look all the similar, but the there's certain, there's a certain enjoyment about how he animates characters and there's fluidity throughout it. And it's uh, enjoyable and it has a, has a sense of realism to it in a way you go back mm-hmm. to American tell you go to all those go to heaven um, and all those amazing movies that, that were competing with Disney 
or being yeah. in Disney at the time. And you go to the uh, the Secret of Nim, which is like just the uh, the the guy has chops when it comes to animation. Mm-hmm. And this this movie is no different whatsoever. Uh, I've watched a handful of Don Bluth films in my lifetime, including with this uh, with the podcast. And it's every time it's like wow. Be like you, you get these amazing perspective shots, and you get these like you know with uh, the uh, the the Grand Duke. You get like he can be like he bends his head and be like all these different angles, perspectives, and it's, it's so wonderful because it's using the entire gamut of animation mm-hmm. and using what was coming into its own with 3D with uh, computer graphics and the whole bit. Very early stages of the computer graphics and subcapacities. Yes. Uh, because Disney was using it, and Don Bluth, I'm not sure if they used any computer graphics in this film or well, not. Well, they did. There's yeah. a few things in here that could not have been done Yeah, exactly. without computer graphics. Yeah. Some of it's a little obvious. I'm thinking of um, the Cadillac and the uh, trailer. Oh, that, yeah. Though, that had to have been, and the helicopter. Oh, yeah, that was definitely all had computer to be uh, computer graphics. Yeah, exactly. It's almost painfully computer graphics. Yes. And I'm convinced the sunbeam, when it shoots down, when uh, Chanticleer crows, that, I'm convinced that's CG also. Completely agree. Along mm. with the animation of the Earth in the, at the beginning of the movie. That is true. Also, what little side note on that. When the 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 beam of light comes into when you get start movie, and I love how this movie starts with animation, yeah. where it's the the beam of light comes and it comes soaring through the scene. It's cutting through the grass and the whole bit. That's beautifully animated, be done, and it bangs up on Sean Declare where he's crowing the mm-hmm. whole bit. And oddly enough, there reminded me of Thundercats. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. That's be like the, that 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 reminiscent of a my childhood favorite show, just to be like oh oh wow this is the intro to Thundercats except it's a it's a rooster who sings yes. and crows to the sun, but just the animation it's like Don Bluth is animation gold, so yes animation, knock it out of the park. All right, uh, my second like for this. Is Christopher Plummer as the Duke oh, okay. of Owls? Really, I like all of the Owls, but Christopher Plummer just knocks this out mm-hmm. of the park. Oh yeah! And what I like about these characters is they are evil for evil's sake. Oh yeah! They do not care. They do not think that it's best for the world to be in darkness. They just want it to be in darkness because they can't stand the light. And they're so wrapped up in this darkness and evilness that even the three songs they sing oh, yeah. are all done to organ and harpsichord. <laughs> this they're, they're owls, technically, but yeah. if you were to uh, change all the characters kind of into humans, these guys would be vampires. When you pretty get much, right down to it, and they much. play it like it. Um, but Christopher Plummer is chewing the scenery in every single oh, yeah. scene he's in and he's got some of my favorite lines especially when he's dealing with Hunch and at one point he locks at one point Hunch gets locked up in a uh, something there it's during the, the kitchen scene mm-hmm. and the Duke has my favorite lines like if I, if I were to kill my nephew would that be murder or charity there we go 
It's like, that is a great line, and I'm surprised she got away with it in 1990. Yeah. Because that's just so... The character is so much fun. He's he's evil for evil's sake, and Mm -hmm. it works. It and the way the the movie is presented, you don't need a deeper reason for why he's doing what he's doing, other Agreed. than he doesn't want the sun because to, to grow because he does he wants to be able to live what comfortably. Be- comfortably. <laughs> what better uh, reason does he need to scare Chanticleer to the city than that? True. Because he doesn't care if it floods. So, Starts making it where his organ won't play, but that's besides, that is that's, true. That'll be later. Mm. That, anyway, yeah, that's my second like <laughs> that. Uh, when you mentioned organ, be like the the last movie we did, the rescuers. Mm-hmm. That whole scene yeah. where the the organ, the alligators are trying to get um, the the mice just reminded me of that scene. But overall, yeah, my my third like my third like. Um, I almost, I almost have two. It's just like you have, you have the Don Bluth of, you know, of films, where Don Bluth uses dark themes, mm-hmm. and you're like, there again, you go to like all of his films, they're all dark, they're all grim, and it's just like, like brings in like these dark themes of life, and it's just like amazing. I love, not not that I, I love darkness. I'm not yes. darkness from uh, Legend. No, absolutely not. But. Um, Overall, I thoroughly enjoy the the darker themes in this movie, and also the the parallels of um, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, there's so there's so many parallels of that. the The idea that the the child is sucked into a uh, an animated world, or the the imagination of his book, to when he obviously is hurt to unconsciousness. And I, I thought that was really well done. Definitely with the parallels of uh, of um, Chanticleer running away because he feels that he's no longer capable of uh, bringing the sun up mm-hmm. and, and running to the city and becoming the king. Uh-huh. And uh, the the parallels between you know Elvis Presley and this character and the uh, the overall symbolism of you know. Don Bluth and the Walt Disney Company, you know, there, there's a lot of paralleling there. I thought that was very well done, and it was just, it was an enjoyment to watch all of that. Definitely like post um, post recording, talking about it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I didn't think about that. But overall, amazing, like dark themes and the the symbolism all over this film. It's just wonderful. It's a great movie. Highly recommend it. Yes, go watch it. You mentioned the parallels to the Wizard of Oz, and mm. now I can. I'm just seeing Christopher Plummer going, "I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too." <laughs> or in this case, little cat. Oh, I'm referring to Patu. Oh yeah, Patu <laughs> the dog. You and your shoelace problem. Exactly. <laughs> and that's from the play, by the way. I just, really? I did a quick little reading because I was not, not a synop- reading, reading the synopsis. Yeah, and it is. In essence, I think everything but the city part, I believe, is from the play. Wow. But uh, including Patu not being able to tie his shoes. Oh, my gosh. It's like, that's an odd choice. That is an odd choice. But anyway, my third like for this film are the songs. Okay. Now, there's not a whole lot, admittedly. Yeah. Uh, you've got Sun Do Shine, which is... Mm-hmm. 
the, son, the song that uh, Chanticleer sings when mm-hmm. he is crowing yeah. to raise the sun. We get it at the beginning and at the end of the film. Um, spoiler alert, we get it at the end of the film when he crows to raise the sun. <laughs> um, we also get a couple other songs there while he's in the city where he's the king. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, where he's, uh, where it's, the songs are in, or diegetic is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Where they're taking place in the film, where the, you know, most musicals, the song didn't actually take place. Yeah. In the terms of the story, it was done for our benefit. Yeah. In this case, the song was actually sung. <laughs> and it fit everything, because it's all taking place within the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got a couple of those, even though some of them are talked over. More on that in a minute. <laughs> But then you get my three favorite songs in the film. Mm. It's not often in any movie where you get three villain songs. Mm. That is true. We got three villain songs. We in did. This. Now, some of, one of them is only about 30 seconds long, but I don't care. <laughs> so you get... Um, what is the name of that song? Uh... We Hate the Sun, mm-hmm. which is the Duke retelling the story of uh, Edmund's, his encounter with Edmund and Patu. Mm. And it's this very operatic uh, song with his minions, where him he's telling the story of, uh, and you'll never guess who bit me on the leg. And the owls go, who, 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 Patu. <laughs> Patu, Patu, and I remember thinking this is ridiculous, and I love it. And this isn't even the best song. Yeah, we have another one near the end when the flashlight is going out. Oh, it's, it's gone out. That's called the picnic. The owl's picnic is the name the of the song. Picnic. And it's like we are the creatures of the night, and we're so glad that you could join us. We've had, we're at your home, trick or treat. Fa-la-la-la-la-la. Let's eat! <laughs> and it's talking about eating them <laughs> when the flashlight goes out. Like, yeah. And we get a song about that, too. And it's my one. It's my favorite one because it is just not often you get a song about your batteries dying. <laughs> Twiddly-dee. Twiddly-dee. They're running out. They're running out. They're running out of batteries. And of course, it's operatic because it's Christopher Plummer <laughs> singing about these guys running out of batteries. <laughs> no batteries. Poosh! And they get flown away because the light, flashlight comes back on. That was good. That, that is was... one of the most brilliant pieces of animation cinema in 30 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, you know, it's a ridiculous scene. Yeah. It's great. It is good. Because uh, and it's it's just not often you get a song and anything about batteries. <laughs> oh, but that is all the, the songs that we get to hear are done very well. There is a cut song that you only get to hear in uh, the credits hmm. about Patu learning to tie his shoes. True, which is a good one to cut, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. But it is mm. the songs are good, and I especially love the villain songs, and yeah. that's why they're my third like. Mm. 
Which brings us to our dislikes. Yes. What is your first dislike? My first dislike, uh, it's more like a question because I'm still I'm still baffled. I understand this is animation, the whole yes. bit. I get this. Where does the Grand Duke get his power? What what is his do what is his power? Be like it's just okay. this this yeah, it's just it's to me it's baffling. It's okay. Can you please explain that? Uh, okay, so I want to you you are aware of the general conceit of this film. Okay. That it's all in that that a lot of this oh, is yeah, from Edmund's perspective. Oh yeah. It's Edmund, all in his head. Edmund is what, five? Yeah, he's five years old. He doesn't care where the power's coming from. It's just the owl is evil, so he's got evil magical powers. That makes sense. That's all it is. Okay. He's an evil owl who was somehow able to know Edmund uh, crushed his monocle and then came to life and turned Edmund into a cat. He's just magical evil. Apparently. Which is what he is. Apparently. And so it was just like, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm overthinking it because, you know, doing this for four years has gotten you to be like, you're very, we, you're, you're critical of things. It's okay. And where does spoiled. this power come from? And we are spoiled. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Disney always does a good job of explain. I say always. There's, I, I, I'm because it's. I don't think I've ever actually seen them. I still don't know where the evil witch from Snow White or were Maleficent in uh, Sleeping Beauty. I've seen Sleeping Beauty, but it's been a long time. I don't know where their powers come from, or if that's even explained. Yeah, but uh, we are spoiled in that. In most cases, they at least give you enough of a reason. In a lot of movies nowadays, yeah. especially nowadays, and Disney's done this job this job very well for the past fifty years. Yeah, of at least giving you an idea of what's of where this stuff comes from, even if it's not explained very well. Yeah, this movie explains none of that. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, my first is like it's like trying to understand where his powers come from, but understanding this is coming from the imagination of a th- five year old. Yeah. Makes sense, but still, I'm I'm be like, give me more, because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're spoiled by Disney. Yes, <laughs> spoiled by every other animated film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my first dislike. My first dislike is one of my pet peeves in storytelling, be it animation, be it live action, whatever. Yeah. There is a, well, let me back up. I like the character of Patu throughout most of this film. Okay. Except when he's narrating. Because I'm sitting there trying to watch the movie and Patu is spoiling the movie oh. while it's going. Mm, yeah. When we first meet Goldie, he says, now she doesn't, uh, she's, she'll end up being a nice, friendly, and kind uh, person. She just don't know it yet. And I'm going, oh gosh. You just Spoiled that she's going to help Chanticleer and yeah. the gang. And her introduction where she's got to pretend, at least for a little while, to be a seductress. You spoiled that. you because And I think the reason I say this is one of my biggest pet peeves yeah. is because it breaks, for me, a cardinal rule of storytelling. Yeah. If you have a narrator, they need to shut up every once in a while, for one thing, and B, show, don't tell. tell. Now, granted, I grew up watching Star Trek, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of times where the actors have to spell it out for you in Technobabble for it to make sense of what's actually happening. Granted. But this one, you've got Patu pretty much any time the scene would have gone to 
a nice quiet moment where you would, or it's atmospheric, or you seeing uh, Chanticleer and Goldie, you know, at, on his penthouse apartment that is a farmyard, mm-hmm. and they're singing this nice little country song. It sounds pretty. I say sounds pretty because it's hard to hear it because Patu is talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you can take the chicken out of the farmyard, mm-hmm. but you can't take the farmyard out of the chicken. I'm thinking, shut up, <laughs> shut up, dog. You are adding nothing to this story by talking right now. This mm. is not a because there are other films I've watched that have narrators. Yeah, but they do it better than this. I'm thinking of things like A Christmas Story. Yeah, where. His a the movie is is made for narration, so the characters shut up long enough for the narrator to say something, and the narrator stays quiet while the characters are saying something. Mm. There's never any crosstalk. The narrator never spoils what's coming up. That is true, and he's actually adding to your understanding of the scene. You get to uh, something like uh, Princess Bride. Yeah, the entire story is based around narration going on. Yeah, and they even play with it because there's a little bit of. I hate to call it fourth wall breaking because it really isn't fourth wall breaking. Right. But that movie has layers where the narration makes sense. There's no need for narration in this movie. It yeah. was made. You can tell by watching. Without me before, without me reading that bit of trivia earlier about yeah. how Patu's narration was the last things added, you can tell by watching this movie was not intended to be narrated outside of maybe a short introduction and maybe a conclusion yeah. thing. But throughout the course of it, it does not. It really was not meant to have narration. You can tell by the way it's made, and I don't know whose decision it was to add it, but they needed to be fired because that was the worst decision they could make. All because uh, little Jimmy's mama or whoever uh, couldn't understand what was going on. Probably, well, I I was about to say probably because she was looking at her phone, but this was the nineties. You weren't looking at those phone cell phones at the time during the middle of a movie because you'd just be looking at a phone number, and that's about all you could do on it. Yeah, she carried around a, like a phone booth in her hand. It's well, like, I'm, hello. I'm thinking of those big, like the the classic '80s Sony. Yeah, so, one so that uh, looks like a, satellite phones. What we think of as a satellite phone, but yeah. it's the old the old Motorola one. Yeah, that they always shows like here's a cell phone from the '80s, and you nearly got to have it right next to the tower for it to work. Very <laughs> true. But yeah, that's I don't know what why they couldn't follow it other than they were adults and they were afraid maybe their kids weren't following it or something. Maybe it could have used a bit of a rework and some addition to kind of maybe yeah. explain stuff better in a more natural way. Yeah. Maybe they didn't and they didn't maybe they just didn't have time, so they said let's just do the easy thing and get Phil Harris to come back in and narrate the whole thing. And of the voice actors that could get to come in and narrate this whole thing where it would make sense. Phil Harris is the one to pick because he's the, no offense, but Sandy Duncan's peepers voice would not have been good to listen to for two out for an hour. For true. Like this whole length. Very true. Edmund's lisp would have gotten very annoying mm-hmm. after a while. And, uh, all that leaves is the guy I continually think of as Mandark because of Dexter's laboratory. Mm. And I kind of want a version of his, of his thing with, with the Mandark laugh showing up every once in a while. But, Right. So, uh, in terms of making this movie the best it can be, if you have to add narration, yeah. as much as I hate the narration in this, he is the best choice. But really, there were times I'm sitting there watching this film and going, shut up, Patu. I'm trying to hear them sing to each other in this nice little love scene. And you're talking about all this other stuff. And I'm going, uh, <laughs> shut up, Patu. <laughs> 
go chew on a bone or something like that. You don't have to explain to me what's going on. I know what's going on. <laughs> They're wanting to make little chicks. Uh, <laughs> lay some eggs. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on. All right. But yeah, that's my first dislike is two won't shut the up. <laughs> All right. So my second dislike this one is a little bit of, I, I don't want to say controversial. It's not, but it's more, we, we have a great villain in the great, the, the grand Duke. I yes. think, I think he's a, he's a great villain. Uh, I think there's some parts where it's a little overwhelmed, underwhelming in, in some capacities where it's just there again, first viewing in this film. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it like 30 times like Drew has. Uh, so watching it, it's just like, oh, okay. So the Duke is this big bad guy. He's controlling everything in the background. But, and he does a lot of monologuing and talking about stuff. Yes. But he doesn't really do a lot in the movie. It was just, that's my observation. He doesn't really do a lot. Oh. I mean, like he, he, he does bring Emmett into the, the cartoon world. Yes. He makes him into a cat. But overall, he threatens like, his friends. And threatens his, yeah, he threatens people. But he really is, he's not very. He's he he says a lot. He does he does like one or two things in the beginning of the movie and the little the uh, the big finale. But overall, he doesn't do a whole lot. He does a lot of talking. But there again, this is a nitpick nitpick about a character that the the Grand Duke is. He's a little he he's not this like omni villainous character. He's over everything. But be like, yeah, you be like, he's in the background a lot of the times, but he's not this villain that you're just like, oh crap, I'm scared of this guy. Mm-hmm. He's in that way. He's not, he's not as threatening and, and knowing that be like, oh, you know, our characters are going to make it through, not a problem. So it's just the, the, the slight notion that the, the grand Duke is a, not, he's a little underwhelming. I would say that now granted, Performance-wise, very well done. Animation, very well done. Story-wise, very well done. I think just his the character himself is a little over underwhelming as a villain. He's a good villain, but he's just a little, little, a little underwhelming. He's the Palpatine of the story. Yeah, pretty much. He's he's in the background because he, he and besides that, he can't go to the city. That is true because you saw how much a flashlight affected him. Yeah. Can you imagine the lights of a big city? Oh yeah, it would not have been turned out. That good. is true. But he's supposed to. The only this is the only defense I have. Yeah, and, and granted, I to some degree agree with you. Okay, but uh, yeah, he is meant to be the the more evil mastermind than the actual yeah thing. Other than he does and he, a lot of pulling strings from the background. Yeah, which is why he's our big bad at the very end of the film when he's yeah. got to finally. I you know, agree with forget you. Forget going through all these minions of mine. Yeah. I'm going to actually be like, use I'm, my I'm, magic and turn into a giant tornado yeah. to stop, to, to destroy the farm because mm. that's apparently the only thing that can destroy farms and towns like this. But anyway, yeah. that's, yeah, that's the only defense I have is so good. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, this is the, the Duke is a little underwhelming as a, as a villain. There again, he is kind of like Emperor Palpatine. He does. He's pulling strings from the from the back from the uh, in the in the back. Uh, his his intro is good. His his uh, outro is very good. Mm-hmm. As it's he's Thanos. Yeah, 
pulling it's, strings from the background. That is true, in, in a way. But unlike Thanos in the MCU, he doesn't get two hours to be to really show you how evil he is or how yeah. horrible he is. He yeah. only gets 15 minutes. Yeah, literally. So I, I think for me, I think they if they would have maybe showed a little more of his character and showed how ruthless he is, I think the bit a little more his... He'd been a little, he'd been a little overwhelming of a villain, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm scared of this character as a kid or as an adult watching him. Be like, wow, I've probably been scared of this character, but overall, it's just more like it's a little, a little underwhelming. But there again, this is a nitpick. Also, I think a part of that is uh, left over from the fact that that character is one of the other, one of the few other characters who's in the play. Okay, and so they brought him over. But they still had this other idea of a story to tell about, you know, the rooster going off and, be, and essentially being Rooster Elvis in yeah. the town. They needed a villain that was be more active there since they yeah. can't bring the owl there. They had to put in what I still am convinced is evil Mickey Mouse. <laughs> huh? Oh, boy. Hey, Goldie, do you want to get out of the chorus? All right. Speaking of Goldie getting in and out of the chorus, mm. my second dislike is even if you take out Patu's narration, spoiling the end of the movie yeah. with her at her introduction, we don't get enough time with Goldie to really feel, to really understand how, for her even to actually get to do anything evil. She doesn't really, she gets like two scenes to seduce, uh, Chanticleer. Yeah. Before she goes through her redemption scene. Pretty much. And she doesn't even really do anything more than what just a girlfriend might do. Other than, uh, we know that pinky kind of pushed her on him. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't get me wrong. I think the character is nice, but we don't get it for someone, for a character who's supposed to be going through a redemption arc. Yeah in the story, like she's supposed to do to her happy that she's the love interest at the end of the film. She doesn't get enough time to be an antagonistic before she comes to our side. I would, I agree with you on that. The fact that, uh, Goldie is pretty much, she's a pawn Mm -hmm. of, um, what's his name? Pinky. Pinky. Uh, that she's, be like she she wants her career, but she has to fo- she has to basically obey what Pinky's telling her to do in order right. that she has a career. So she's being coerced and being used by Pinky in order to manipulate uh, the king. Right, but we don't even get enough of her being a victim of his evil. That is true. Without, There's not even that. Yeah, we don't even really get that. We get the fact that oh, she's doing this so she can get out of the chorus line because she. Wants to be a star. Yeah, exactly. And he, as of course, using Goldie against Chanticleer by giving her what she wants. Yeah. She makes this deal with the devil sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But honestly, outside of her feeling bad, she doesn't really get, she, she really doesn't do much. That No, is she actually, doesn't. Outside of, outside of, uh, outside of being bad, outside of catching the guys... Yeah. Uh, so that they can get locked up in Pinky's trailer. She doesn't really do anything that evil. 
as a part of whether she was victimized into doing it or she was legitimately a bad person and then realized that this was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. She actually is in love with Chanticleer. Yeah. We don't get enough of her either being a victim or being evil for the redemption arc to really feel like it sticks. Agreed with you. That's my opinion on that. It's granted. You had an hour. This was like what an hour and 10 hour and 15 minutes. Something like that. You don't, you know, Disney movies normally only get a little bit more time than this to, yeah. to do that. But, and she doesn't show up till about halfway through the movie. So she doesn't really, even in the way the movie's constructed, the character doesn't have much time to do anything. Yeah, she's underdeveloped. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she is underdeveloped, and that's probably the biggest issue, especially if you're going to have a character like this. And especially as quick as Chanticleer's turnaround was when he finds out his friends are in town. He doesn't even act like he felt betrayed. By yeah. them. He's just automatically going, oh, my friends are, are locked up in the train. Okay, I'm just going to take off on this motorcycle that shouldn't have gas in it. Yeah. And we're gonna, <laughs> I'll go find Pinky's trailer and go save the guys who Pinky's tied up in there. Yeah, that, that is, that is like, a like, That's a quick turnaround, too. Yeah. And I recognize that Chanticleer is not the hero of the piece, as in, or he's not the protagonist yeah. of the piece. The protagonist is Edmund. Yeah. But when your protagonist is not your hero, as it is in this case, yeah, and you're, you've got to make the hero feel like the trip to get him was worth it. Yeah. To some degree, this doesn't feel like it was worth it that much. Yeah. Even though when Chanticleer unleashes his awesome, crowing, magical power that causes the sun to rise up, don't you feel like all the other roosters feel like they're being gypped? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> You do get this amazing show of power as the sun rises up and shoots its sunbeam across time and space. And it's another sunny day on the farm. Yeah. Unless you're fighting a giant evil tornado owl. Uh, (laughs) That's all cool and all. Yeah. and And it looks amazing. But it's like, really? This is all it took? Yeah, pretty much. And he's and the reason he didn't do it was because uh, the sun came up without him, and he didn't notice that the sun immediately yeah. went away when he left the farm. Yeah, because the sun, I assume, works in the city too. Yeah, one assumes. I mean, there's a lot of light there, but you would have thought he'd have noticed. Hey, it's three o'clock in the afternoon for the third day in a row, and it's still nighttime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may be messing up here. Yeah, and plus he's he's uh, Chanticleer or the king is being distracted by like all the glam and the glo- yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, that's that's interesting. That that's was interesting. just a bonus. That actually wasn't my next dislike. All right, what is your next dislike? My dislike, my my next dislike is it kind of ties in with yours because in that conversation it made me think of it mm-hmm. was um, was the the fact that Pinky's job was simply to manipulate Chanticleer or the king uh-huh to uh to believe that the farm doesn't care about him mm-hmm. or his friends as has um have uh, abandoned him. He's he was never a good uh, rooster or anything like that. And you pointed out that very well, very well early. I just wanted to emphasize that in my third dislike. That be like Pinky is there to hold um, Chanticleer or the king back 
to going back to the farm and manipulating him the entire time, you know, telling him that the, this, that, and the other. But when he comes to the realization that Blondie tells him about his friends, he instantly goes thump. Yeah. Like, like nothing pinky ever told him, which be like, if you're, if you're being coerced by somebody, you're being told all yeah. this information, be like, most of them, if you're in a depressing state, you're going to believe it. And so his, his instant turnaround to, oh my gosh, my friends are in trouble is it's kind of, it's, it kind of just, it's a snap turn and it, it's, much. it's not, oh my gosh. It'd be like, it's not the, oh my God, he, he comes around and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been le- believing these lies. It's like, you would believe those lies. Yeah. I mean, like you are such a depressive state. You have someone who's coming in, manipulating you and telling you all these, you know, these, uh, these false truths that like, yeah, it would take you some time to get through that. Give you, get you through that, that manipulation, that, that brainwashing in a way. And his, his, uh, immediate turnaround just doesn't make any sense from a, uh, like a psychological standpoint. Mm-hmm. It would take him some time to get through that. And uh, the his his snap turn just didn't make any sense, and uh, I, w- I was kind of like, you know, going through that conversation, it just made me think. It's just like it's like that wouldn't work. Be like if they would have put a little time in there, and mm-hmm. probably made Pinky even a worse villain, and that would have made even uh, the Grand Duke even a worse villain. Yeah, if you would have had it where that. Like Chanticleer be like, he, he wasn't sure because he's been told this for months. Cause there again, we don't know what the time frame that from Chanticleer leaving the town to becoming uh management under pinky to becoming this megastar. Yeah. I mean, there's no time frame. This is going to affect on my third dislike. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of mention it here. I'm not trying to cut you off on your dislike. Yeah, go ahead. But, uh, the biggest issue that I think this movie has is there is exactly what is going on in this movie and how, if it's real or if it's all in Edmund's head is a yeah. little fuzzy, fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause there's things of this movie that make it feel like, okay, the book he's reading had to have been at least published for let's say a year. Yeah. Which meant it had to be written and drawn say three or four years ahead of time in order for them to get that out there, get it published, get it to where it's at. Assuming his mother bought him that book that day yeah. and brought it home and was, cause obviously he's a little sick boy who doesn't need to be out in the rain. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think, this I don't so, think he was sick. Actually, I don't think he's sick. Be like, he's just young. That's he's just, he's just it's young. emphasized. He's young and, over and over and over again. Right. But I mean, from a timetable perspective it's obvious that we're seeing this from the kid's point of view. So there's a lot of logic I don't worry about because it's a, the kind of jump in logic a child would have. Exactly. But that kind of goes away when you realize to some degree, the storm went away because in the real world, because Chanticleer crowed. Yeah. Because the storm is somehow still connected to the animated world because somehow the Duke existed in the real world enough that it could, he could come there to transform Edmund and everything else into the animated world, but it came back. But did, is that the thing? Cause, uh, the house is obviously in an okay shape at the end of it. It's not yeah. flooded. Like it should be. Yeah. If what we see at the end of the animated section is real. Uh, and then you got the fact that you, the, 
was there a was there an Elvis a rooster dressed up as Elvis in the city this whole time? It was is this been three days or has this been three years? We have no idea. Yeah. Now, granted, a lot of this logic I don't think about while watching the movie. Yeah. Because immediately I go, yeah, we're seeing this from the kids' point of view. It's making the jump in logic kids have. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, it's the same reason why I forgave so much of the stuff in the Lego movie mm. once I realized what the Lego movie was doing. Yeah. This kind of tells you what the movie's doing early on, but then there's still things that make you go, well, now wait a minute, because obviously this is more connected than just in the kid's head. Yeah. To some degree. And it's confusing to that way. So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you that we don't know how long any of this has been going on. Right. But we also don't know if any of this is connected to Edmund's real world either. We don't know how connected it is. Yeah. Some degree it's, and, and it, I don't know, it's confusing. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. The My my theory, my headcanon is most likely that Edmund would be like, when the tree comes through the Comes through the window. He's, you know, yeah, knocked, he's knocked out. He's knocked out. And so all of this is in his, his imagination. And that's kind of where I approach it. Cause you can even see where the, uh, at the end when he opens up that curtain so he can go. Yeah. Cause the window's new. Yeah. Well, the window's not new. It hadn't been replaced yet. Yeah. Why are they letting a kid sleep in a room without a, with a that's true. giant hole in the wall, but that's, that's true. not my main issue here. That's true. And the tree had been chopped down. Yeah. My issue here is the kid goes to the animated world immediately after that scene. Well, also he goes to sleep. Does he? Yeah. That's All we see him do is like, is hold the book while well, he's in bed, but yeah, he hold, he's holding the book and he's moving his hand across the, the crow, the, the crow, the rooster, rooster? on the, uh, the cover the cover. And he says, welcome back Chanticleer. And then Chanticleer shows up in the room just as much as the, the owl did. That is true. And then takes him to the farm in the book. Yeah. Which is not the same farm he was in, or is it because it's from his point of view? Does that mean this kid is now psychotic and seeing giant walking? Or is he going? Is he on pain medication right now at the end of the yeah. film? Yeah. Like, how, how about bad was his concussion? How yeah, bad was how his bad injury? How bad was this? And is he now in trouble? And it's these are things that, yeah, I'm thinking too much about it. Yeah. I will grant you I'm thinking too hard about this. <laughs> but... That's what we do on this show. We overthink things. Very much what we do on the show. Uh, but it's what it's 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 if, when you start thinking about what you're actually seeing and not just going, oh, this is the nice little you know song lead out that everything does. This is not meant to be taken seriously. And Grant, it's not meant to be taken seriously. No, it's, not. it's meant to let human Edmund be on the farm with the wa- talking animals. And admittedly, it's shot very well. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple spots in there where I looked at it and thought. Yeah, that compositing didn't work exactly like it should have. Yeah, agree. Yeah, that animation doesn't match up with uh, Kid Edmund's movements at all. Yeah, the eye, eye alignment's a little off. The, but that's also like 90s, early 90s. It's like, mm-hmm. and this is not Who Framed Roger Rabbit. True. But what it is, it's done well. It's just not done as good as we've seen it even before this point. Agreed. And at the same time, I'm sitting there going, is the kid asleep? Is he on like pain medication? Is he dead? And this is his psychotic world. Or did he just go crazy and will end up in a mental asylum for the rest of his life? Because he sees 
giant talking roosters and dogs and and the thing is and all from the storybook and well also also the thing about this <laughs> you know? like he he is a five-year-old yes. and five-year-olds have you know a, I, a very overactive imagination and and they have imaginary friends and i get that that's kind of the only way this works yeah but there is a small part of me going uh how does this go anyway that's just yeah things. yeah there again we're overthinking this we're, like we're, we always do. do that was the end of my point okay so you're whatever your point you're on now no be like yeah i think that was, that was my third point okay then we do need to go ahead and rate this thing yes uh go ahead this is a nine for me and a lot of that is nostalgia i will admit okay there's a lot Look, of those goggles are fogging up there. <laughs> they are definitely rose tinted. Yeah, a little bit. Because, like I said, a lot. This was one I actually had a hard time. Actually, this was one of the few times where I looked at my likes and dislikes list and thought, "What am I going to put here that is not easily summed up in one sentence?" And so I had to come up with stuff and really think hard about what I was doing. And with the dislikes, the only thing I had was shut up, Patu, for a long time. Until, like, <laughs> right before yeah. we went live. And I finally came up with some other things. Uh, this is... I admit this is not a, a perfect movie by a long no, shot. of course not. But this is a fun movie. It's a classic for me. Mm -hmm. If I was on Retro Rewind Podcast, I would definitely be rating this a classic. Mm. Despite the fact I know some people would have issues with it, this is just a fun movie for yeah. me, and I enjoy it. Yeah. 9.0. All right. Uh, I will be giving it an 8.5. It's an amazing film. Uh, it's there again. This is coming from a five-year-old's imagination who has just been injured. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's it's the, the logic goes out the window. And for someone like me, be like, I've got to understand everything that's going on, and there's not the information there. And uh, there again, I'm and I'm a thirty not thirty nine year old guy who is watching a cartoon being for kids. Uh, but there again, this is a Don Bluth film, so Don Bluth just goes all out with stuff, and it's wonderfully made. Great movie. There, there's little hiccups story wise here and there, but overall, amazing film. Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely an eight point five. Worth watching. Go pick it up. If you if you have the capability of going and picking it up, uh, you can watch it on Tubi uh, Tubi TV or rent it on your favorite streaming platform, uh, wherever you do that. Yes. So overall, great film. There again, Don Bluth. Far as I understand, movies that I've seen of Don Bluth, Don Bluth does not disappoint when it comes to animation or comes to storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yet, <laughs> I know there are a few out there that goes. Whoa, wait a minute. Speaking of which, yeah. we need to talk about trivia for our next movie. Yeah. This is a really great transition, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Thumbelina is the first movie to win, first animated movie to win a Razzie Award. What? <laughs> yeah. First animated movie to win a Razzie Award. Whoa. And I want to know what Razzie it won and for what part. Oh, I'm, I'm utterly shocked here. It's like, what? I'll tell you after the thing because you're gonna. I, I, I'm, you've actually seen the movie. I've not. Technically, I haven't seen it. Oh well, it, it apparently it got a Razzie. Um, 
but yeah, I'm curious about what this is. Yeah. So yeah, what what did Ra- what did Thumbelina earn a Razzie Award for? Exactly. When it came out is what I would like to know. Uh, and we will be reviewing 1994's Thumbelina next week. Yes. I'll watch it at some point, I assume. Yeah. Uh, probably next Monday. And uh, we'll be back for that next week. So I guess in the meantime, this has been Drew. This is Jacob. And we will catch you in the next frame. You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox to Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page, Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterboxed page at GGeorge759. His Twitter at GGeorge759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at The Cellcast Podcast. On Twitch at The Cellcast Gaming. On YouTube at Cellcast. On Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L. Oh, 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 o